Thank you for joining the Intersection Podcast. Today we will be talking to Dr. Robert Grant about the trauma-informed church. Derek. And my name is Inez. And we're with the Family Afterwards Resource Center. Today we are here with Dr. Robert Grand and uh, he's graced us with his presence to talk about a trauma-informed church. Yes, thank you so much for being here, Robert. Um, before we ask you so many questions, we want to know so much about what you have to talk mm -hmm. about today. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what do you do? Yeah, so uh, we're the Family Afterward Resource Center, and we're trying to reach out to the tri-community area and other areas as well to provide counseling, recovery, uh, trauma-informed trainings, um, marriage and family trainings, uh, just different mentoring opportunities and community outreaches. We're trying to fill in those areas of our area that... Um, that aren't getting services provided. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of small churches mm -hmm. in this area and maybe they don't have counseling or marriage and family or outreaches and we can kind of fill in that gap yeah. uh, for those uh, small churches in, in this area. Wow, so that's awesome. very much yeah. needed. Awesome. So we have one important question we're gonna start with. What is trauma? So trauma is a event or series of events that is beyond the scope of what a person is capable of handling. Mm. Uh, a person becomes overwhelmed with an event. It could be a, a personal death or loss. It can be a natural disaster. It could be experiencing or witnessing severe violence, seeing somebody die. These events that overwhelm us beyond the scope of what we can handle. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I know, like myself, we've all heard of PTSD. We think of PTSD. We think of people that have gone through things, a lot of soldiers, things like that. But, um, you know, for the, the subscribers, kind of go into detail. What, what is PTSD? So it's post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm -hmm. And it happens from a significant amount of trauma that's unresolved. So let me go a little bit into the brain um, and how it kind of works. So... When we experience uh, a trauma, something that overwhelms us, it gets stored in the limbic system of the brain. So this is the more primitive part of the brain that um, initiates our fight, flight, freeze, or feign response. And so God has designed our brain in a way to store these memories to instantaneously initiate this fight or flight, mm. freeze, feign, uh, response, if yeah. you will, and it readies our body for for danger, for something that um, is uh, life-threatening, um, and there's a lot of fear and anxiety involved, and um, so what happens with a person is, is they, they, they um, receive too much, too much information, it overwhelms them, and then they develop these symptoms um, they re-experience the trauma over and over and over again through emotional or environmental triggers. 
So they have flashbacks, hallucinations, nightmares, mm. um, and they constantly relive these traumatic situations. So they tend to avoid people, places, and things, and memories that trigger them. And, and you know, for good reason. Who would want to be in this elevated state, this fight or flight, where, you know, your blood pressure you know, goes through the roof and, and you can't concentrate and you're nervous and you're ready to run or fight. You're in this elevated state. Hyper vigilance would be the main thing that um, is, you know, characteristic of PTSD. You're in a heightened state of awareness all the time when you're triggered mm -hmm. and you go back to that traumatic event and it's almost like they're still there. Now, I, I just wanted to ask, is that, you know, the, the symptoms or these negative effects of PTSD, is this something that a person will just have to kind of live with their whole life? Or how do they, how do you overcome these things? That's a very good question. And no, there, there are um, trauma therapies that mm -hmm. really, really help a person with this. Mm -hmm. And going back to what we were talking about before with the limbic system, these memories being stored there in the primitive part of the brain they don't necessarily have to stay there. Mm -hmm. We can uh, move those memories from the limbic system to the prefrontal cortex mm -hmm. where all the emotions gone, the hypervigilance is gone. They're not triggered anymore. There's no more fight, flight, uh, feign, or freeze response at all. Mm -hmm. they, can, they can totally diminish that process by a, a, a therapy called EMDR. So it's eye movement desensitizing, reprocessing, mm. and or sometimes cognitive behavioral therapy works as well. So CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, takes a little bit longer, but EMDR is very effective and it's short acting, meaning mm. that you, know, you don't have to go to long-term therapy to see relief from these symptoms. And it's not, it works differently yeah. than hypnosis. And what it is, it, um, it, it's a process where, um, you know, you've heard of rapid eye movement in mm -hmm. sleep. Yeah. Okay. So during that process of sleep, you process your memories. Right. Your brain categorizes memories and reprocesses these memories and kind of files them away. Well, they found that moving an object, um, bilateral stimulation creates that same scenario. It helps the brain mm -hmm. to move the memories from the limbic system to the prefrontal cortex. Now, I have a very important question on that. Now, how does someone seek that type of help? Are you going to your primary and then they're sending you to like a specialist that you're talking well, you, about? Or how does that work? Yes, and that's a good question, Inez, that you would have to ask mm -hmm. for it specifically. Oh, okay. Um, so, you know, with your insurance, with your HMO or PPO, whatever it may be, mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of people have mental health insurance. And you can go see a therapist, a licensed therapist. So what you have to do is find a therapist who's certified in EMDR therapy in your network. Mm. So just look for that specifically. And you know, it's funny because it's, it's not everyone seeks therapy. A lot of people self-medicate, which leads to my next question, is why does trauma lead to addiction? And when I say addiction, 
we all think drugs and alcohol, yeah. right? And I'm pretty sure addiction is not just those two. So why does it lead to addiction? That's a really, really good question. So trauma creates the need for emotional pain relief, which results in addiction. And that addiction can be chemical or behavioral because it does the same thing. Now, whether you ingest a chemical or whether you're doing a behavior, the brain doesn't know the difference. Hmm. For example, uh, gambling, okay? Gambling, hmm. people get a, an adrenaline rush from that. Hmm. Well, that's what certain drugs do. Yeah. Stimulants. Like a high. You, okay. Yes, it okay. is, very much so. Sexual activity, you have hmm. lots of different chemicals naturally in the body that are released. I mean, you have dopamine, um, you have um, catecholamines, you have um, oxytocin, you have vasopressin, you have this cocktail of chemicals that mm -hmm. explodes in your body. And that's wow. why people get addicted to it, because it temporarily makes you feel better. Mm -hmm. So when they're looking for that pain relief, behaviors can serve the same purpose as a chemical. Wow. So there's virtually no difference. And they've seen that through spec scanning, which uh, it, it demonstrates how the brain uh, circulates and oxygenates itself. Mm -hmm. You know, one, one part of the brain will light up and another one go dark. Yeah. And so they know by this that that circulation and oxygenation is being impacted by the drug or the behavior. Mm. And over the long run, it causes brain damage. But the good news is, is that if we stop and we seek reparative relationships and you get proper sleep and you stop doing the behaviors, you stop doing the chemical and, you know, you look to God for help and, you know, the prayer and meditation calms the brain down. Right. And, you know, there's a lot of research that backs all this up. Fish oil is another thing that can help repair the brain. Hmm. So there's help for this. Wow. There's hope and help for people that, and 80% of the time, this is an amazing statistic, 80% of the people that experience significant trauma and or PTSD mm -hmm. end up with some form of, uh, of uh, addiction. What an eye-opener. Wow. I'm going to be transparent here. You know, I, I had trauma in my life. I was sexually abused, you know, just for seven years straight, you know, when I was a child. And I didn't, and I still haven't, picked up a cigarette, picked up, you know, an alcoholic drink. I've never been high. I've never smoked a cigarette. I haven't done any of those chemical things. But I remember that I started going to the gym. I couldn't stop going. Mm. And I'm guessing it's because of this oxytocin that you're talking about? Endorphins. Endorphins. Do dopamine. Yeah. And, then I, and then I started yes. uh, joining a soccer team. I joined five soccer teams. I was playing five times a week. I was playing so much soccer, I, I started to get anemic. Mm. So I can tell that, you know, it, was, it, was, it became an addiction because it right. felt so good, but I started getting sick. Right. Wow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, oh, good example goodness. of wow. how that process works. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. That, that's important that you said that to people to understand it's not always a chemical. It could just be a behavior right. that you become addicted right. to. Which and I was separating from my family yeah, too. A lot of people suffer yeah. from for wow. sure. And, and it, it leads me to my next question. And this is why we're here talking about a trauma-informed church. Um, you know, go into some of the, the reasoning and the details why it's so important um, that churches become trauma-informed. You know, uh, uh, 
that's that's the overarching question mm -hmm. of why do we do the trauma-informed church. So, one in five people experience mental health problems, okay, wow. including PTSD and you know traumatic stuff. So, and sixty percent of mental health problems go untreated, okay. Sixty percent. Of the people do not seek help therapy wow. and sometimes you know people need medical attention as mm -hmm. well mm -hmm. because it's mm -hmm. impacted them so badly like so you said yeah. yeah I mean the addictions right you can run yourself into the ground with just about anything you know that's that's the part anything taken to excess yeah. is bad for yeah. us right so that, yeah. yeah so many times the church is the first place people go mm. and yet we're not trained to deal with these things mm. yeah and so here's another problem that happens in churches too um, a lot of these problems are neurobiological in nature they're physical problems mm -hmm. because let's let's take your example for you know okay. for instance so a person experiences you know a great deal of trauma and then they fall into some sort of uh, some sort of behavioral or chemical addiction, mm -hmm. right? And then their health deteriorates, right? Right. And m maybe you could talk a little bit. And I know personally that yeah. you have you, you you developed heart conditions, yeah. Right. Yeah. So these things are very interconnected yeah. with the physical realm, and many people in the church pews don't understand the connection point between these traumatic situations, mental health problems, and the actual physical body. Right. So that's the first problem there, physical problems. And then the historic trend is that, you know, mental health problems in the church can be really ignored mm -hmm. yeah. or kind of swept under the rug right. kind of thing. They don't want to be dealt with or they're viewed as a lack of forgiveness, a spiritual problem, Hey, you just need to get over that. Mm -hmm. Don't you know that the scripture says this and this and that? Yeah. And you just need to forgive yeah. and get through this, you yeah. know? Oh, ye of little faith yeah. kind of thing. And that, you know, let me just uh, preface this. Mm -hmm. You know, those types of problems can be related to faith. They can be related to forgiveness. Mm -hmm. right. Absolutely, right. without a doubt. But we in the church cannot make that assumption. Yeah. We can't. Do it's that. the first thing that comes out of the mouth. You know what? You're not praying enough. Mm -hmm. And right. now, yeah, I, I when I, I'm going to be honest with you, I, I went to church and um, I was told, well, you need to pray more. Well, you need to come to, you know, to church more. And it, it almost felt like they were telling me that I, I wasn't Christian enough almost. And I'm going to be honest with you with the churches that I've been to. Not one has ever offered any type of trauma or counseling. It's always been, okay, we'll pray for you. Right. We'll just right. pray for you. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And a lot of people need, you know, they need to unload yeah. these situations. They need to talk about things. Yeah. They need to be directed towards a resource to get help. Sometimes yeah. a doctor, a medical doctor. Sometimes therapy. Sometimes both. Yeah. And, yeah. And I, and, and. Not that I don't think that any of us are saying that prayer won't help things. No. Definitely, you right. stay in prayer. But I understand what you're saying, the importance of those at a church having this education, having this understanding that 
you know, things can be physical, things can be mental, that we have to yeah. be a center that can kind of steer, uh, um, you know, steer the congregation to getting the help that they need, to right. seeking professional help. Right, so, right. Because important. the first time I actually mentioned it to the church, I was 15 years old. It was right after the sexual abuse um, had stopped. And I got into a relationship, you know, with now my husband, Jose, and he didn't know the things that I went through. So I didn't go to counseling, I didn't do anything like that. I just went to church, started doing ministry. Well, four years later, I ended up in jail because I had this huge outburst of anger. I didn't know what to do, so we got into a fight. I ended up in jail. Years after that, I thought, okay, maybe we need to have a baby. So I got pregnant, had had the baby. I went into a postpartum depression, made the anxiety and depression even worse. Mm-hmm. By the time I hit 33, I had my first heart attack. I was diagnosed with coronary artery spasms. The doctor said, we don't understand. You're not on drugs. You're not on alcohol. You're very healthy. The only thing we can tell you is that it's it's uh, related to emotional stress. And mm-hmm. I said, okay. And three years after that, I had another heart attack. I had a quadruple bypass. Three years after that, which is last year in April, right after the shutdown, I had a double heart attack. And now I officially have congestive heart failure. Mm-hmm. So now when I talk to the doctors, they're looking at me and they're like, we don't understand how can you be this sick? And it all started when I was 15, when I reached out and I said, I need help. Nobody was there to help. I, I had no guidance, no support. And here I am today. Thankfully, we got to know, you know, we, we met you guys and, you know, we're doing the recovery on Tuesday nights. And now I understand what trauma is. What is all of this? Yeah, right, um, right. So my question um, with that is, what do we avoid when dealing with trauma in the church? Yes. So there's a lot to avoid there. Um Let me just say that, you know, many well-intentioned Christians um, come from an unchallenged state. Mm -hmm. Maybe they've never experienced trauma or significant trauma. Mm -hmm. Everyone's experienced some trauma. Right. Mm -hmm. But, you know, maybe not to a high degree. Maybe they've never had been abused or been uh, molested or or experienced a, a really radical addiction or a family that had really, really dysfunctional behaviors, and which, you know, it takes its toll on people. So they don't understand, they don't come from a position of compassion and understanding. And what they do is they think, well, you know, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, Mm -hmm. you know, pray harder. And like we were saying before, we're not diminishing the value of prayer. Right, right. But you can't, you can't steer people away. Like that's the only solution. Right, yeah. right. Because there's so many it's things part that of the solution. physical. Exactly. Right, it's part yeah. of the solution. Absolutely. So, you know, what we avoid is, you know, if we come from that unchallenged state, we want to avoid that biblical cliche. Okay? Yeah, just forgive, you know, go to the forgiveness scriptures or just pray harder, steer clear of the biblical cliche. And most of it comes from an uncomfortable, um, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe position with somebody's pain. Mm -hmm. It can be very awkward for people, and I understand that. But when you're in that position, I mean, all the more reason to invite the Holy Spirit into the situation to give us wisdom. Yes. And to help us come alongside other people and to listen intently in a non-judgmental way and also point them to resources. Right. Yeah. Versus the biblical uh, cliche, 
the judgmentalism, right, and making these uh, you know shoot from the hip right. um, judgments about people that we have very little information about. Yeah. yeah, and what we do is if we can stop doing this, we'll avoid those secondary traumas in people because what we're doing we're exacerbating. Um, something that's already happened and making it worse. We're not helping. We're exacerbating their traumatic symptoms mm -hmm. and, and creating another trauma, if you will, a mini trauma. Yeah. Wow. And, and I just want to say, and you've kind of were hitting some of those points right now, uh, but for our subscribers that are going to walk away from this conversation that we've had with you, um, understanding the importance of being informed. Yeah. Um, what would you say, what, what recommendations or tips would you say to someone that, you know, is asking, I know someone, or if I run into someone, how can I help someone? If I recognize that they're right. in crisis, how do I just as a person help right. them? Right. Well, let's, let's take a case scenario. Let's say that Joe Smith comes into the congregation and he's experienced the loss of his wife. Mm -hmm. Okay. Tragic circumstance, car accident, but let's say it's been two years or something, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe you knew Joe Smith, but you finally had that conversation with him. Right. And so instead of, you know, uh, reading into the situation, because everybody's grief and loss process is different. And that's a big part of trauma, is realizing that there are precarious losses that people experience such as innocence. Mm. Who thinks about that, yeah. right? When somebody gets abused mm -hmm. in, in some way as a child, there's a loss of innocence yeah. there. Yeah. And it's very, very tragic. And we, don't, we can't open up and get into the person's life that much to even know what's going on. Right. Yeah. So let's not assume anything. And so come alongside the person and listen well and try to be comfortable in your own skin. And how I do that, I have to pray. I need the Holy Spirit's help to give me wisdom and discernment, yeah. to yeah. listen well, yeah. and to not jump to conclusions. And that helps us from defaulting to that biblical cliche. Mm -hmm. yes. So, you know, we have the power to hurt or help depending on how we approach people in crisis. Mm -hmm. So be non-judgmental, be a good listener and lead with compassion. And here's the last thing, ask them, how can I help you? Right. And then lastly, one more thing, point them to resources. Hmm. Yeah. Hey, you know, I know a good person, a good Christian counselor to yeah. talk to. Yeah. And hey, it's a good starting point. Uh, maybe you did it, I tried this and it really helped me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I can get you connected with that. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Yeah, you had yeah. something really important with that, Robert, and you just, it totally just brought me this memory. There's a grieving person coming on a Sunday to church, and they're being prayed over, and then they don't come anymore. So they're grieving at home. So were they, you know, did they give them the research for a grief and loss group? I mean, it, what happened after that? Right. And I right. think that's the problem where people are coming in. They're like, okay, we'll just pray for you. Okay, but what's the next step? And that's what yeah. you're talking about. Right. Point them to the next step, to the next, you know, to the right. resource yeah. sets. And something else that, that really uh, triggered a memory for me. I had a mental breakdown um, when I was 19. 
And um, I remember my family when, you know, they came in and I destroyed the whole apartment. I just had a breakdown and I didn't understand why. I just know that I was really angry. And now that you mentioned this, you know, this grievance, I was grieving my my innocence. You know, mm-hmm. I was seven years old when this abuse started. It stopped when I was 14. So when I had these breakdowns and these this horrible just anger fits, I remember my family saying, what's wrong with you? What's yeah. wrong with her? And nobody could understand that. And now when I was doing the, you know, the recovery, I was like, I've been grieving my innocence for so many years and I've been so angry about it that I don't know how to express it or who who do I talk to about that? And imagine if the families and the church congregation got just a little bit of education about this. Right, right. How much better, how much more supportive, how much more healing could we support yeah. yeah. Through that process. And that's exactly why we do the life recovery meeting. Right. The Christian 12 steps solves all these problems. Mm. Right. Trauma, codependency, mm-hmm. addiction, anxiety, depression, yeah. PTSD, whatever the problem is, God's not too small to handle it. I think we try to put Amen. God in a box, don't we? Yeah, we do. He's bigger than We'll handle that. it. We'll handle it. And, and the 12 steps come from biblical principles, yeah. proven biblical principles that will lead you to health and healing in your life. Yeah. So, Amen. So Thank much you. information, man. And, and that's what I love about this organization is that exactly what the name entails the family afterwards because Mm -hmm. people will go through traumatic episodes traumatic experiences um and you said inez not just coming alongside them and and praying over them and that's it like no there's a whole process afterwards a whole process process. of getting the resources you need um coming alongside them and and walking with them through it right um and that's exactly what um you know Dr. Grant, you've been offering here with, yeah. with family afterwards, and it's so important. And we just want to thank you. Thank, thank you for this, you. all this information so in just this short time, so much information. And, and um, definitely uh, anyone that is interested in getting more information, visit the Family Afterwards website. Um, it's a plethora of resources there, and, and you can reach out to Dr. Grant yourself and ask him uh, anything that maybe this conversation may have brought up too. So. Again, we just want to thank you for thank your time you, Robert, today. Thank you, Robert, so much. Thank you for coming today. We really appreciate it. And thank you for opening my eyes. You know, there's a lot of things that a lot of people don't know, and I'm pretty sure someone is listening now, and it's it doesn't make sense why they're feeling the way they do, and just know that there's an answer. Yes. And Amen. there's so Amen. many resources, and we're here to help you and to listen to you. So awesome. thank you, Robert. Thank you. You're welcome. God bless you guys. God bless you, too. Join us next time in the Intersection Podcast where we will be discussing spiritual abuse.